Well, good afternoon. It's good to see you. It's good to be back with you as we have a good opportunity to be together, worship God together, open up his word and study from it. That's what we're going to do. John chapter 13 is where we're going to spend our time tonight. John chapter 13. You can be finding your way there. Counting this too. As the preacher does the math, counting this one too, that is all the sermons that I have left in the entirety of this year. And when you're preparing for lessons, knowing that we're coming up to the very end of the year, you're certainly thinking in that way. I'm sure John is doing the same this morning, including the one that he delivered this morning. It was two for him as well. I'll preach next Sunday, John will preach the following Sunday, and then that is it for this year, 2023. And when we get to the end of a year such as this, it is very easy because we're all prone for it. Mentally, we are in a place that makes it pretty easy for reflection, but also for looking forward. And for the Christian, it's important to do that. But one is so much more important at times than the other. It is important for us to look back to determine where we've been and, and decisions that we've made. It's important to do that, but it's also important not to dwell in that area because ultimately there's nothing that I can change about that. But yet at the same time, thinking about moving forward, that's what we need to be doing. Thinking about what, what I can be and, and, and pressing on, as Paul will make reference to. And so as, as John did this morning, as I'm going to do tonight, it, it provide an opportunity for us to, to reflect about something specific, but really an opportunity to look forward. As I roll into the next year, where can I improve in my relationship with God? Where can I improve in my relationship with others? So John, this morning, made the choice that he would preach on impulsive decisions. And so I made the decision tonight that I would preach on love. Now, maybe a psychiatrist could do something with that, that John chose impulsive decisions and I chose love. I'm going to stay off of it. But it's good for us to be considerate of the demand and the level of the demand that God really lays on us. So for a few minutes, we're going to do that. We're going to use John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, beginning in verse 34, you have Jesus, and he has this directive for his disciples, and ultimately for all of us as well. He says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so Jesus is here speaking with his disciples. We'll talk more about the context of John 13 here in just a moment. But he is, he is giving them and us a directive, and it's a directive about love. And he lays a weighty demand upon his followers that we are to love as he loved. Now he adds a caveat to that where he says, if you can meet this demand, that 
that will be a defining indicator to everyone else that you are one of my disciples. And so that tells me in my logical mind, if I love as God has demanded that I love, that will look different from the way everyone else loves. If I love in the same way that everyone else loves, that's not an identifying marker. That's not setting me out, uh, uh, apart. That's not having me look or be any different because God says if you love the way that I am demanding that you love, it will be so striking that people will be able to point to you and pick you out as one of God's people. Look at the way he loves. Others will say, look at the way he loves. He is a godly person. Look at the way she loves. She is a follower of Jesus. They'll be able to see that. Now, they can see that in lots of different ways for sure. But Jesus makes the point that they would be able to see that in the way that we love. Now listen, everybody in the world loves. So our love is to be different. And what makes it different is Jesus saying, love as I have loved. But what makes Jesus the master teacher? Is in this context, it's not just about telling us to do something. He shows us. We're going to read a passage here in John chapter 13 that will be familiar to a lot of you. I want you to try your best to wipe that as much as you can, to look at this story fresh, because it is, just on the surface even, an unbelievable feat of love. No pun intended on that one as it came out. It is a remarkable thing that Jesus does at the beginning of this chapter as he takes a moment and washes the feet of his disciples. In John chapter 13, I made reference that we'll talk a little bit about the context, and it is really important, the context. In this section of the Gospel of John, John will give us multiple chapters right in a row that, that really centers around one kind of setting where Jesus is spending with his disciples at the very end, hours before he will ultimately be arrested in the garden and then put on the cross. Not days, not months, not weeks, not years before, hours before. And John provides us an incredible amount of context surrounding this one event. Showcases of love like this, pieces of teaching, prayers that he offers, all surrounding him and his disciples. It's important to keep that context in your brain. John is going to point it out here at the very beginning of this chapter. Look at the first three verses. He says, now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, 
Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going to God, and I know there's a comma there, but let's hold just for a second because there's a lot of really important things we learn in these first three verses that give us the insight into Jesus' mind. Did you notice that, that John does that for us? He gives us insight into Jesus' mind because he tells us, did you notice, this is what Jesus knew. He knew this. Verse 1, verse 3, Jesus knew these things. So let's think about what Jesus knew at this moment. He knew the timeline that he was facing. He knew his crucifixion was imminent, very close, hours away. He knew that. He knew Judas would betray him. He calls him out by name. He knew at this time Peter would deny even knowing him. He calls him out in this context. Jesus knew at this time that all of his closest followers would in his biggest moment of need run away from him. Jesus in this moment knew all of those things. He didn't learn that. He he wasn't blown away when Judas betrays him. He wasn't surprised when Peter denies him. He, He wasn't taken off guard when all of the apostles flee at the moment of his arrest. No, he he knew all of those things. That's in his mind. And John wants us to know that. He wants us to know that when Jesus showcases this love, That Jesus is washing the feet, not here just of his closest friends, but he's washing the feet of betrayers and deniers and cowards. That's what he's doing. He's washing the feet of these men. And it is a powerful picture for us. Let's read it together. Verse 4, Jesus, we'll pick that up in verse 3, the beginning of the, of the thought. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, that he had, he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, to wipe them with the towel of which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, Well, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example 
that you should do as I have done to you. Now carry that thought to the spot that we started. In this same context, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus is making the point that what he does for these men by washing their feet, he's making the point, as he does in verses 34 and 35, he makes the point that this kind of love that I have showed you already is different. It's different from the way that the world loves. And so for us, for a minute, let's ask the question, what makes it different? What makes it different? Well, one of the things that makes it different is what we have up on the screen behind us with Jesus and his knowledge of who it is that he's washing the feet of. You see, when we think about Jesus and we think about his love, we see over and over and over, and not just all in all the gospels, certainly love is made mention of, but most certainly in the gospel of John, You know, it's interesting, in John chapter 1 through 12, kind of the first half of that book, uh, maybe a little bit over half, John mentions love 12 times. Once a chapter, that's pretty good. But in John 13, where we are, through the end of the book, 44 times John mentions love. Well, what's happening from John 13 through 21? It is the back half of the book, but it is a moment that is condensed just days. The crucifixion, the resurrection. 44 times John will use love. This is what love for Jesus is all about. You see, love, and we think about how Jesus loves. He loves in spite of. In spite of Judas, who was about to betray him, Jesus loved him. In spite of Peter, who would deny even knowing who he was, Jesus loved him. In spite of the other apostles, when the going got tough, not long from this moment, they would scatter and run away. Jesus loved That's how Jesus loves. We see it all over Scripture. Keep that in your brain. And look at these other two passages. Look at these other two passages. One in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5. Keep this idea that we've talked about kind of in your head. And think about what Paul says to the brethren in Rome when he talks about Jesus and his love. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, he says this, as he reminds the brethren there and us about Christ and his love for us, he says this, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone even would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, though uh, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Uh, do you take notice of what Paul says uh, about Jesus' love and what separates it, what sets it apart? It's not just that he gave his life because of his love. Now, there, there isn't many people that would do that. That, that is already way down the line that Jesus gave his life for someone that he loved. But even Paul makes the point here. Maybe others would do that. That's not necessarily that huge of a difference. There's probably a lot of people that would give their own life for someone that they love, someone that was close to them, a family member, a spouse, a child, a, a, the closest of friends. There's other people that would do that, but that's not the point that Paul makes. Did you notice what Paul says is that Jesus loved and gave his life for his enemies, for the ungodly, not, not just sometimes for a good person someone would die, but who would die for their enemies? Who, who would die for someone who is opposed to them or oppresses them or causes issue for them? see, Jesus loved to that level, and that sets him apart. Look at what John says in his epistle in the book of 1 John, which you probably know is all about love. So much that he says about love, the love of God specifically, but look for this kind of separating notion of God or Jesus loving in spite of. He says this in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through them. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You see the point that John is making here about love? It is a remarkable thing that Jesus died for us, but he loved in spite of. It wasn't because we loved him so much that he loved us back. John makes a point and have anything to do with us in that regard. It's just that Jesus loves in this way. You see, Jesus loves in spite of. Even when we turn on him, even when we mock him, even when we laugh at him, even when we disobey him, he still loves us. His arms are still open to us. Is this kind of love different from the world? Certainly it is. We know that it is. Think about this example. 
We've got a lot of them around. Brand new babies. Everyone loves the brand new baby. Everybody does. Everybody wants to look at them. Everybody wants to make faces with them. Everybody wants to hold them and be around them. Everybody loves the little innocent baby. Everybody does. But what about when that child grows up and that child makes bad, big, big mistakes? And it becomes ornery and just an ugly person. Nobody loves. You see, we see that all the time. But yet Jesus loves in spite of. Now, I want us to begin to think bigger than shaking hands with our friends or even being friendly, frivolous love. That's important. We need to be friendly. Absolutely, we need to be friendly. But I don't want you to think about on levels like that. It's not about frivolous love. This love has deep concern. This is a love not about feelings. It's a love about actions. If you're still in the book of First John, I'll give you an example of that. If you're still in the book of, uh, if you're still there in the book of First John, First John chapter three, listen to what uh, what has what he says here. First John chapter three. Uh, beginning in verse um, 14. He says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. First off, did you notice how serious John says that this is? He says, if you don't love the way that God has demanded that you love, you are a murderer. And you will lose your soul. That's the point he's making right here. It doesn't get any more serious than that. If we will not love the way that God has demanded that we love, we will lose our soul over that. John says, it's like you might as well be a murderer at that point. He says, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Did you notice it's not just about words? It's not just about frivolous words. It's about actions. It's about making a decision. Making a decision to love. So let's close with some applications and principles. How do I start doing that? How do I start doing that? I made the point at the beginning of our time together that we need to be thinking forward. We need to be thinking about right now and tomorrow and the next year. We need to be thinking about pushing forward. How can I push forward? How can I love the way that God has demanded that I love? How can I get to a place like that? Well, I'm going to give you three things to think about. 
to be considering, and I would encourage you, as I am doing as well, to be thinking about these things so that we can love better, which ultimately is what God demands of us. And so the first thing is this. You've got to get over yourself. You've got to get over yourself. Absolutely, you have to get over yourself. I mean, think about all of the passages. We don't have the time to go through all of the passages, especially through the epistles, where the point is made that as a Christian, we have put self to death. We haven't placed him in the closet. We haven't pushed him aside. We haven't just kind of pushed him out of the way and maybe we let him come out every now and again to play. We have put him to death. That is the phrasing that's used over and over and over and over again. Think about even the phrasing that Jesus uses. Look in the book of Mark, in Mark chapter 8. We could certainly go through the Apostle Paul and his writings, and so often he's using the phrase death. That is the phrase that he uses. What about Jesus? Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, he says this, when, when he, verse 34, when he had called the people to, him, uh, to himself with his disciples, he says this to them, whoever desires to come after me, let's hold there for a second, who's that? I mean, I'll raise my hand, that's me, I, I desire to come after him. I, I desire to be a follower of him. If Jesus were here and he'd ask that question, who wants to follow me? Who here would say, I, I want to follow him? Hopefully all of us would say that. I, I want to. I want to follow you. That, that's the question he's asked. He's got this huge crowd of people, and he's making the point, who, who wants to follow me? Who wants to be a follower of mine? I want that. That's the way it says this, okay? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. That's it? Were we expecting some grandiose secret word? I mean, a, a, a code to follow? Some magic words to, to recite? You want to be a follower of mine? If you want to do that, listen, before anything else, you've got to deny yourself. So that fits with where the Apostle Paul, over and over and over, he makes the point that when we are buried with Christ in baptism, we have put that old man to death. We raise a new creature. And so if we're going to love better, we've got to get over ourselves. What does that look like? Well, that means we are going to put away all our prejudices. We're going to put away all of our judgments. We're going to put away all of our opinions. We're going to put away all of our feelings. And we're going to love the way Jesus loved. That's what he did. Oh, man. The watch is talking to me up here. So you want to love the way that Jesus loved? You've got to get over yourself. Jesus denied himself. What does he say in the garden right before he goes to the cross? It's, it's not my will, but your will, as he speaks to the Father. That's the example we have to follow. So number one, we've got to get over ourselves. We've got to simply get over yourself. You've got to put yourself to death. Uh, secondly, you've got to open up your world. You've got to open it up. 
it is so easy, and maybe easier in a, a group our size even. It is so easy to have a little tiny box that you operate in. It's comfortable there. It, it, my box is a comfortable place. The people that I like, I let in. The people that I enjoy spending time with, I let in that box. It's a very comfortable little place. And I can be active, and I can, be, uh, I can have somebody to go out to dinner with, and I can have somebody to play games with, and I can have somebody to have conversations with just right here in my little box. I've got all of that that I need already. I've got all of that right here in my little box. But oftentimes, and it is the case for me, I'm thinking about it just as I'm encouraging you to think about it. Oftentimes, if not all the time, everybody is not inside your box. Not everybody. Sometimes a few, sometimes a lot, but usually not everybody. So we've got to open that world up a little bit. How do we do that? I want you to think about those that are inside your box. Maybe it's your family. And that's your whole world. Your whole world is your family. There's nothing wrong with your family. I love my family. I love my family. And I love spending time with my family. I love it. I love it almost more than anything else, spending time with my family. I mean, I love it. There's nothing wrong to spend time with your family. I have close, close friends, and I love spending time with them. I love that. But we've got to be willing to open up our world. You think about that group that's in your world, that's in your box. I want you to think for a second how you feel about them. Everybody do that. Everybody do that right now. Think about someone in your world and how you feel about them. Now, a good little exercise is pick someone outside of your box and ask yourself the simple question, do you feel the same about them as you do to the one inside? Ask yourself that question. Do you feel the same? Probably not. It may not be that you hate that person. Not that you hate them. But maybe you have no feeling about them at all. Maybe your feeling is indifference. I'm not saying to those that are closest to you to love them any less. That's not what this lesson is all about. It's not about loving less. It is about loving more. So maybe it's time to give some time to someone else. What a great opportunity we have here people that the amount of folks that we have the amount of opportunities that we have afforded to us to think about opening up your world and loving more let's close with this just do it I say it that way because as we study through John chapter 13 Jesus does not present verses 34 and 35 as a good idea He does not present it as wisdom. He does not present it as if you've got, you know, something to work on, maybe put this on your table. He doesn't do that. This is a command from God that we love this way. And so what that means is, even the things that we've talked about here, 
It is a choice. John talked about choices that we make this morning. And you remember one of the things that he says that, that saves us from making those dangerous and catastrophic choices is to take that step back and to think about the consequences. Think about it for a second. We need to do that. Loving more is a choice that you can make right this very second in the pew that you're seated in because it's a command from God. It's a choice that we make. Listen, we can't change the past. We can't change it. We can learn from it for sure, but we can't change the past. But I can absolutely dictate the now. And that's where we need to be focused. You can be over something. You can be over someone right now. All you have to do is choose to love. Let's not lose sight of the fact. What did John remind us of? The seriousness of it. We don't love the way that God has demanded that we love. We will lose our soul over that. So for us, as this year comes to a close, as my sermons come to a close, one more. I won't tell you what that'll be. You'll have to come back next Sunday and find out. Pushing forward. Loving better. What a great endeavor. Personally, individually for us. But what an incredible endeavor collectively. What if each and every one of us over the next year, loved better. What a powerful thing that would be. I'm going to work on that. I'd encourage you to do the same. I appreciate you so much listening tonight. Being here, worshiping God with you has been a phenomenal thing today. And I appreciate you so much studying with us as we've done and spending the time that we've been able to spend. Dudley's going to lead us in a song of invitation. It gives us an opportunity once again to think about where we are with God. We've talked a little bit about that tonight. Thinking about our relationship with him, there is nothing more important. Let's make sure our relationship with him is where it needs to be. He has given us this opportunity now to think about that. Let's not squander it. Let's make sure our relationship is right with God. If it isn't, and we can help in some way, you let us know as we stand and sing.